Alright. Alright. My name's Mike and I'm an alcoholic. And my sobriety date is December 19th, 1998. And my home group is the world famous Monday Night Speakers Group. I have a sponsor, and he's here tonight, so I'm going to be as honest as I can. And, and my wife is also here. So, yeah, so i gotta, I got to be real honest tonight. Um, all right, so I'm going to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, to two wonderful parents, I never met my biological father. My mom remarried. I have an older brother. And when they divorced, um, my mom moved in with my grandparents, her parents. And uh, my brother stayed with my grandparents when we moved out. And uh, that was kind of my first resentment. I had this uh, stepfather. And, um, you know, I used to think that he was the worst guy in the world. And, you know, little did I know he was a great guy. So I'm already off the bat, I got problems. You know, I got a pitch-hitting father here. I don't have my real dad. My brother's staying with my grandparents. And, uh, you know, that's just a story of my life. You know, it's one big problem after another. Um, you know, I know this is Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, we're supposed to talk about alcohol. But uh, my, my first drug of choice, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you all about it. I, I hope Chuck doesn't get too upset. But, uh, you know, I did it as hard as I could, as long as I could, and, uh, you know, it was good. And it, it really, to this day, hasn't turned on me. And that's sugar. The white powder. The, the, the other white powder. And, uh, you know, let me tell you, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't feel right. I didn't look right. I didn't act right. But you get a little sugar in me, let me tell you, it's all good. And what I would do, I would do... First thing in the morning, I'd get up and I'd take a shot glass and I'd do shots of corn syrup, Hershey's chocolate syrup, and then I'd follow it up with some cereal. And it was high-powered cereal, you know, Cap'n Crunch, uh, Sugar Smacks, you know. The kind of cereal always had a prize in it, and I always went right for the prize and then didn't want the cereal. And, uh, and then, you know, come around lunchtime, I'd have, well, f- after that, I'd give me a tall glass of Coca-Cola. And that's all I drank was Coca-Cola, no water, no juice, Coca-Cola. And, uh, and, and this is a true story. Um, I have the feelings to prove it, okay? And that's all I drank. And then I have Freezy Pops for lunch. And then there's, you know, some uh, little Debbies or something in there. And, um, and I would just get all jacked up on sugar. You know, and uh, and I remember, you know, when you're little, you have nap time. And my mom would always say, you know, you got to go to take a nap. Go to take a nap. And I remember, man, I was climbing all over the walls and, you know, and she'd say, you got to go, got to go. And so what she'd do, she'd corral me into the room and close the door. And then I was in there bouncing off the back. And, um, you know, and, and I remember I had a 45 record player. And, uh, and and I think I had three records, and my favorite record was a, a red record, and it was Santa Claus, and it was, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus. And I remember, man, I can't wait for Santa to come again. And that was, man, I love Christmas. You know, between the sugar and Christmas, I just couldn't do any better. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that's when I first learned how to steal. I had a grandmother that would send lots of presents. And I knew my mom couldn't figure out how many. She didn't do an inventory. You know, see, this stuff intuitively came to me as a five-year-old. And uh, so I would steal 
one of the two of the gifts go hide in the bushes and open them up. And, uh, you know, and I just was like, man, Christmas is the best time of year, you know, um, and that's how it was, you know, and uh, I got into gr- kindergarten, had problems in kindergarten. And, you know, it was just like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And, uh, you know, I guess nowadays they, they call you a problem child. Back then they just called you bad, you know, and, uh, um, you know, or you got a, a tension deficit disorder. They're like, this kid is bad. You know, I don't know what you want, want us to do with him, you know, um, and and that's what it was back then. You know, they sent me to all the best schools that money could buy. They sent me to shrinks. Um, uh, what did we have? We had uh, counselors and we had tutors. I remember all these things. And, and it was to no avail. It was the same thing. Every school they put me in, the same thing. And, um, you know, I used to blame that. That's why I drank because of these things. And what I realized today is that, you know, I was going to be this way regardless. And what ended up happening is, um, you know, I finally they took me out of private schools because uh, it was costing my parents a lot of money to just have me flunk out, essentially. You know, and, and what I realized today is that I had this fear inside of me that was instilled from from just a kid, you know, and I was afraid. And I remember, you know, they would say, you know, you got to do a book report. And my biggest fear was getting up in front of the class and reading a book report. You know, that was the biggest fear I have. And, uh, you know, I wanted attention, but I didn't want attention. You know, I, and that's the, the dilemma I was in. So, you know, some kids are uh, academically gifted. Some kids are um, this popular and some kids are, uh, you know, really smart and some kids are just bad. So that was my M.O. And uh, and I was good at it. I was real good. You know, and I remember in the second grade, they put me behind two file cabinets in front of the class and so no one could see me. You know, and I remember that was the biggest torture there was. Uh, you know, and that I remember that year. This is how it went for me. I was in in-school recess suspension, you know, and 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 the teacher said, "Okay, we'll let you go." So she goes, "You can go out and play in the yard." So I go darting out of the the, the classroom and I slammed the door and it had a big glass window and I broke it, you know. And I'm just like, you know, everyone in the yard just turns around and looks at me, and there I am standing. I go, yeah, "There I am," you know. And I turned around and walked back in, you know, and. uh you know, had to go home with a note, you know, and that's just every, every, it was always something, you know, and I remember the teachers were always write nice stuff, you know, if Michael ever applied himself, he'd be a good student, you know, stuff like that, you know, and they talked to my mother and, you know, try and figure out what's, what's going on at home, what's the problem, you know, and, um, and that was, I remember the best thing I ever got in the sixth grade, I got voted best dressed. Because I went to a public school by this time, and I remember I was so proud of that because we had this little weekly thing they put out, and and there I was, you know, best dressed, and I thought, man, that's nice, you know. I'm, I'm figuring, yeah, see, I'm already qualifying for A, didn't even know it, you know. I'm trying to fix myself externally, you know, just to figure if you said I was okay, if I looked okay, then I must be okay, you know. That's just how it went, and, um, you know. So the school thing was just progressively getting worse so by the time i'm 13 um my parents were big socialites in new orleans and um you know they had this big christmas party they it was a big thing back then was to have big christmas parties you'd go to their house they'd come to your house and uh you know so they knew all these people so we'd go like the archie manny was the quarterback of the saints my mom sold him his house so we'd go over there and then we knew these judges and lawyers and doctors and we'd go over there and so they had this big one you know we lived in the pentalba apartments on jackson square it was governor edwards's old apartment you know and we had the preservation hall band playing there's black tie affair and 
You know, and I remember I just felt so out of place and I had this suit on. I'll never forget it. It had these wool slacks and it was a nice, real heavy, kind of looked like this coat. Um, and, uh, you know, I had this tie to match the pants. And I just felt so out of place. And, was, and I was a kind of sweaty kid, too, you know. And I was short, you know, a little bit shorter than I am now. Um, and, you know... And there was like another kid there and he was about like me. And so we said, why don't we get a couple of drinks, you know, and I and I and I'd already, you know, worked my way through Roy Rogers and pina coladas and strawberry daiquiris. You know, I, I knew what drinks were, you know, but I said, now we're going to get the real deal. So we went up there and I forget. I said, Eddie, let me get a couple of rum and Cokes. He said, OK. So um, we went downstairs and we drank them. And, and what I remember is the sense of ease and comfort that came over. Like, I felt like everybody looked in that party, you know, the glasses going, the bands playing, the crystal chandeliers shining, you know, and everyone's laughing. And I felt a part of for once. Now, I felt like they looked, you know, and that's what I've been looking for, you know, and um. And it wasn't like, you know, I got sick or anything. You know, we had a couple of drinks, felt good. And, uh, you know, that's what I've been looking for, you know, because up in that point, I never felt right. I remember I would get something and it was never right. You know, I, Christmas was never right. You know, I'd, I'd want a blue bike and I'd get a red bike. You know, um, I, I'd want a, a polo shirt and I'd get an alligator one, you know. And, uh, you know, I wanted Nikes and I'd get Adidas, you know. And it's just like, damn, you know, why can't I get everything I want? You know, that's all. I always wanted what I wanted. Um, you know, so... You know, I took those drinks, felt great, and, um, you know, it was by the time, two years later, I'm living on the streets, you know. And so it was that quick, you know, the progression. I had, my mom had my little sister, um, and so she, and my parents had divorced, you know. And, and I mean, the, the problems were reoccurring, you know. It, 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 we could be here all day with the problems, but that's the long and the short. And by the time I was 15, I ran away from home and was living on the streets in the French Quarter, because that's where we lived at that time, and, um, you know, I just realized I wanted to drink all the time. You know, I, I'd start on the weekends, and like I said, the progression kicked in. And, um, you know, we start out, you know, it starts out with beer. You know, that's what we get, you know, because a beer, a dollar fifty gets you a six-pack. And, you know, we're drinking Schaefer's and Milwaukee's Best. And, um, you know, and then we figured, you know, this wine must be good because all the winos drink it. So we... Um, <laughs> And it was like a dollar something, you know. So we we started drinking Strawberry Hill and uh, all kind of Boone's Farm wine, and it tasted good. It was sweet as hell, you know. Like it's like fruit punch, you know. And um, the problem is when you drink it every day, even though I weighed 145 pounds, you drink it every day, you build a tolerance. So I'm like, man, it's just not doing for us what it did last week, you know. And uh, so I'm. A, I like to think I'm a smart guy, and um, the bums drank this other stuff called Thunderbird. And I remember thinking, wow, now, wait a minute here. I looked at the percentage of alcohol, and I never did good math, but I knew that 18% was more than 6.5. And I said, wait a minute. And uh, Eddie, Eddie, my buddy, Eddie was the big guy, the 6'5", 200 plus. You know, I was the mouth. He was the backup. You know, um, you know the story. So I said, Eddie, we're getting ripped off, man. Look at this Thunderbird. It's like three times the amount per volume of alcohol. And it's the same price. He says, yeah, man, but that's some rough stuff. I said, so what? So we started drinking Thunderbird. And uh, 
Let me tell you, you know, all I'm in inferiority complex is all that feeling less than, like no one loved me, no one cared. Um, I was short, you know, my hair just would never grow long like I wanted it, you know, all that stuff didn't matter, you know. I would drink that Thunderbird and it was like, it was off. I was off and running. I remember we'd walk around yelling, what's the word? Thunderbird, you know, and uh, that's what we do, you know. To, and, um, you know, it was fun. It was fun at that time. And, um, you know, like any good alcoholic, I just drank it till I couldn't drink anymore. I got alcohol poisoning one night. I drank a whole bottle and four sips. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it hit me hard and I got real sick. I was sick for like two days after that. So good alcoholic. I said, well, I'm just not going to drink Thunderbird anymore. You know, it never occurred to me that it might be the alcohol or anything. So I just went back to drinking beer. Um, but you know, that's how it was. And, and I just continued like that for a few years and living on the streets in the French quarter, it's uh, no easy task. I mean, anything goes literally like here, um, here in Florida, you know, you have things that are called liquor stores. You have, uh, things called IDs, uh, you know, requirements to drink. Well, there, there is none. You can drink 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you so choose, you know, um, we don't have liquor stores. You can go to a 7-Eleven or Circle K and buy a pint of Jack Daniels at five in the morning. If you so choose please, you know, and uh, so we'd hang out in bars all night long. I mean, literally six, seven, eight in the morning, we'd leave, you know, it wasn't like we had jobs or anything. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a aspiring student or anything. Um, and, you know, and, and the thing was, I had a family, I had places to go, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I didn't have options, you know, I had tons of options, you know, I remember, um, I got arrested and my grandparents and my brother had bonded me out, you know, and they would come pick me up and they lived out in the suburbs outside of New Orleans. And uh, my brother, you know, he played uh, high school football. He was a quarterback. He had a car when he was 15, 16, had a girlfriend, you know, um, and all these things. And he'd say, why don't you just go back to school? Why don't you stay with us? You know, we'll put you in school and, you know, we'll help you out. And I'd say, see, there it is. See, that's what it is. Everybody's wanting to tell me what to do, you know. That's the problem, you know, and I'd, so I'd stay out there about two days, wash my, uh, all my worldly possessions would fit in a suitcase, and uh, I'd eat as much food as I could, and then I'd say, well, can y'all give me 20 bucks and uh, send me back where I came from, you know, and that's what I'd do. So they'd, okay. I remember they'd drop me off and just get the hell out of there, you know. They wanted nothing to do with the French Quarter, you know. Um, and I did that for a while. I got in some more trouble and ended up, you know, I uh, did like 20 days in jail. I remember I was detoxing for like two days. And the guys were like, man, we thought you were never going to wake up. You looked like you were sweating to death in there, you know. And because um, they had this thing called Tent City at the time because the jails were overcrowded. And it was a triple-decker metal bunks and this big, giant army tents in the middle of the summer in New Orleans. And it's like 100-and-something degrees out there, you know. And uh I thought, man, this sucks, you know, and um, and I was already out on bond, and, you know, I thought, you know, they're telling me about Angola, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, and they're like, yeah, a young guy like you, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm thinking, bullshit, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sticking around, you know, I'm not sticking around for none of this, you know. So um, I remember I had dreadlocks and everything, and they shaved my head in there because they, they have a big lice problem, and, uh, you know, and I was like, man, this is not for me. So I got out, and I, you know, went back with my mom who was living in Mississippi with my little sister, and, um, you know, I'm like, I remember I was like, you know, I'm going to get a job. 
and I had never really had a job, uh, you know, for say, like I'd work with friends of my parents and, you know, I'd work out a couple of days and then I wouldn't want to work anymore, you know, because I get paid every day. And then by the third day, I said, man, I don't know about this work stuff. So I remember being at my mom's, she's like, well, you got to get a job. You know, you're 17, you go to school or something. I said, okay. So I remember I went to the grocery store there in Biloxi, Mississippi, and I got the application. I remember it was like an index card. And I remember I brought it home. My mom dropped me up there, and I brought it home. And I said, now what? You know, I didn't know what to do with it, but I was too afraid to ask my mom how to fill it out. You know, so I sat it there on the nightstand. I remember I called up some people, and I went and got drunk. You know, and that's the reality. I was just afraid to ask how to fill out this index card for an application for a job. I was afraid to get a job. What was I going to do once I got the job? You know, I mean, I just didn't know how to, this stuff was foreign to me. You know, I didn't know how to do this. And I was, and the problem was I had too much pride, too much ego and fear to ask for help. You know, so uh, like any good alcoholic, my mom said, we're going to move. And I said, that sounds great. You know, and, um, and she said, well, it's going to be Florida, you know, or Atlanta. And I remember thinking, well, I really like the beach. You know, I'm, uh, remember because we go to Pensacola every spring break. And I remember at the time there was a spring break was real big on the news and Beastie Boys had just came out. And I'm like, man, I'm thinking this is great. Kegs everywhere, people getting drunk, you know, uh, uh, all that stuff that goes along with that. And I'm like, that'd be awesome. I'd really like to move to Florida, I think. And she said, all right. So we moved to Florida, which goes to show you the kind of people that move to Florida, um, you know. <laughs> On the run, looking for a better way, you know. And um, I came here and I found out promptly that there was none of that going on in Tampa at the time. It was more like Dukes of Hazards, you know. And um, and uh, there was no Miami Vice, that was for sure, because I remember that. I'm looking for the Lamborghinis and the T-backs and, uh, you know, it was none of that going on. Um, so, you know, I immediately didn't fit. Well, first off, you got to have an ID here for everything. You know, you got to have a driver's license as well and a social security card. And I had none of these things, so I'm, I couldn't even get a job. You know, like, you have an ID? I'm like, I don't even have a freaking wallet, you know? <laughs> you know? I'm thinking, no, I don't. And they're like, you don't have an ID? And I said, no. You don't have a social security card? I said, No. So I had to go down and get all these things and, uh, you know, and I remember I got my first job and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool, you know. I'll never forget, I was a colonnade, I was a bus boy. And, um, I, I ended up, I moved into the dish room because I was like, I like it better in the dish room because I was afraid of dealing with all these people, you know. You had to, remember I dropped a whole tray of water on this girl and I was like, man, this isn't for me. I'm like, I like the dish room. There was a Spanish guy in there and I was like, I'll hang out with him in there, you know. And you got paid a dollar more an hour. So, uh, you know, and that's just the way I go. I just go down real quick, you know. And uh, so, you know, the problems just keep coming, and, and what ends up happening is, you know, is I'm drinking every day, every day, every day, um, you know, and, and, and I remember I called, I actually went to Plant High School and got my GED, because I remember I was like, I'm going to get my life together, I got a job, I'm going to get my high school diploma, and, you know, I'll get it together, and I remember I called my brother, and I said, you know, I'm here in Florida, I just got a, I'm working, I got a driver's license, and, um, and I remember he was, he just cut me off, he said, I don't want to hear it, man. He goes, you know, um, you had a warrant, you have a warrant for your arrest, and, um, you know, you're supposed to go to court, you know, we bonded you out. And I said, 
really? You know, and um, I didn't know. You know, and I'm like, oh, he says, yeah, yeah, you know, they revoked your bond and I, and I had to pay it. And, you know, you have to go to court. And they came to our house, you know, they came to my work. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, um, you know, because I really didn't know. You know, no one could get a hold of me. So they told me. So it's just like, you know, they said, don't ever come back. You know, and I said, well, that sounds about right. You know, and I, and I never talked to my brother again. You know, I just said, that's fine. You know, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, and um Fast forward, you know, I just kept drinking and um, my stepfather came down and with my sister and then my mom and I ended up moving out. I got my own place and uh, really tried to do the right thing. The only problem is, you know, like I said, I'm drinking every day. And it's the same thing over and over again. End up going to prison. I know that's probably a shock to some of you guys. You know, um, it really wasn't a shock to me. It, it, it was a shock when I went back, you know. Um, because I really didn't want to go the second time, but I did. You know, the first time was kind of cool, you know, tough guy. You know, I, I thought I was a real tough guy, which I'm not. Um, but you quickly learn how to be in there. And, to, you know, and I went back, and the second time, I'm like, this sucks. You know, I mean, the, the first time really sucked, but the second time sucked even more. You know, and, and what I realized today, I'm forever grateful that I went to prison. You know, prison is a great place for a guy like me. You'll figure out what you're all about. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you, you you get fed three meals a day. They wash your clothes for you. They they wash your sheets for you. And if you're even lucky enough, you get in a relationship. And I, yeah, and uh, you know, I wasn't lucky enough. You know, but uh, you know, and and and, and you got everything you want. You know, and um, but for me, I found Alcoholics Anonymous in prison. You know, because they had meetings every Friday, and and a guy told me that I'd get out sooner if I went to AA. Now, I believe my God speaks through people, and he told I don't know who this guy was. I never saw. I don't. I don't even know who he was. He could be sitting here tonight. And I wouldn't remember him because I had got involved in this riot when I first got to the first prison. So they transferred me. I jammed up my time. You know, I got in a lot of trouble in the county jail. So I'm thinking, man, that'll advance my uh, my time. You know, my uh, I can get out sooner. So I started going to AA. And I remember I would go to AA, and I had all the little books, and I was a sergeant at arms. You know, I don't know what that is. I think. I think I set up chairs is what it was, but I was involved, you know. I was involved. I was active. We had a 12 and 12 meeting, and I don't know what the other meeting was. And, um, and I always go to the 12 and 12, and we read it out of the book. And, and I really thought AA was a good program, you know. I really did, And if you're an alcoholic. But I'm not an alcoholic, you see. I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to drink, and that's my program. But I really was intrigued by it. You know, I really was. You know, I, I really wanted it. But really didn't want to go. And, and the other thing is they said that you can't have sex for a year. And I thought, well, that's going to be a problem. Um, you know, and they said the first thing you do when you go out and get out of prison is you go to a meeting. I said, well, I've been locked up two and a half years and there's this girl I've been wanting to see. And, uh, you know, and the, see, that's not what they said. This is what I heard. And, that, and that's the, the thing. You know, I have delusional hearing, delusional thinking. You know, that's not none of what they said. And the other thing is they had a speaker come in there, and this kid was real straight-laced. I think he had a wife and a kid and a picket fence. And, and I said, well, there you go. AA's full of old guys, old white guys, and young white squares. You know, and I said, I do not fit in there. 
You know, I'm a convict. You know, I'm a convict. That's what I am. I'm a career criminal. I'm 22 years old. This is what they've labeled me. This is what they told me I am. And I'm none of these things, you know. So I just said, well, you know, that's a great program, but it's not for me. So I got out and continued doing what I was doing. But but prison really helped me out. I got, you know, I, I worked. You know, I got jobs. And I was doing, you know, going about taking care of myself, you know. And uh, within a few years, I bought a house. And, you know, I'm bartending and working in a mortgage company, hence the mortgage problems we have now you know they, they got guys like me writing loans you know so um don't ask okay don't ask but um you know and uh I started drinking again. You know, I figured I, had, I didn't drink for a while because I figured that was the problem was drinking was the problem. So not drinking would be the solution. Well, you know what happens. I started drinking again and immediately I started getting in trouble. You know, I'm not doing the stuff that sent me to prison originally, but I'm driving. I like to drive. You know, I'm a bartender, a little drug dealer of sorts, you know. Um, so I'm always out and about. And uh, the problem is when you drink and drive, you get DUI. So I get I get a DUI. You know, I uh, hit a tree, you know, five in the afternoon on a Sunday, wrap a car around a tree on Treasure Island. You know, I almost lost my eye, had to have plastic surgery. And, um, you know, and that was, I mean, I got caught doing 120 on Seminole Boulevard. I got, you know, a, a, driving the wrong way down the road. I mean, all this was in a stretch of like less than probably 10 months, you know. Um, and, you know, God does for me what I can't do for myself, you know. And um, so I, I get in this DUI and, and my attorney, you know, I got a paid attorney. I knew to do that. And um, he says, you know, you got to quit drinking and, and you got to quit driving, you know. And, and I didn't, you know, I just kept doing what I'm doing. And what ended up happening was there was a guy that I had worked with, and he was in AA. He had like a year, and my mom saw him at this uh, this restaurant, and he asked about me, and somehow it came up because I had to go to AA because of the DUI. And he said, oh, really? He goes, man, I've got like a year, and I would love to pick him up and take the meetings. I go every night. And I thought to myself, wow, that that is way too many meetings. Uh, I remember thinking... We go on Fridays in prison, so that's what I did. I went on Fridays, you know, and, uh, you know, we're such creature of habits, you know, we just, you know, we just do it. And, uh, and what ended up happening was, um, you know, I, I went to two Fridays and by the third Friday had a date, you know, and on a date you always got to get a nice bottle of wine, you know, a nice Italian dinner and, uh, well, of course, I don't, well, all right, I'll have one, you know, and, um, and a buddy of mine in Tampa, uh, his name's Dave, so there's a ton of Daves, but, uh, Dave had, had gotten sober. He went through acts, and I remember talking to him about, you know, getting sober and everything. He's like, yeah, yeah, and I remember he was sober too, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to meetings, and I remember by the third Friday, I was drunk, you know, and, and, uh, and I, and Dave's like, you know, um, you know, he was, I remember telling him my one beer program and all this stuff, and, um, <laughs> And Dave would just kind of look at me and give us that look, you know, and, um, you know, because I, I remember telling him, I just drink one beer, you see, and I walk around with it all night, you know, and, I, and that way I'm social, you know, because um, I hang out in bars, you know, that's what I do. I hang out in bars, you know, I'm not hanging out at Starbucks, you know. Um, so this guy, though, this guy, so I, so what ends up happening, I get laid off from the mortgage company, I get, I get fired from the bar. And, you know, I'm at rock bottom and I go out and I start drinking around 11 o'clock and um, end up breaking in my mother's house. I was uh, going through a separation with my girlfriend. We, we had domestic battery on each other and I couldn't stay in the house. So I'm sleeping on my mom's couch. I broke in her house, stole her car, went driving around 
and passed back out on the couch. And she says, you know, my sister, and, and they're like, you got to go. You know, you can't sit here and just be a drunk on, on, our, on our watch, you know. You got to go. And I thought, oh, you know, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm going to go back to prison. I'm, You know, I'm going to be a bum on the street. My mom said, no, you're just going to go back to prison, not the bum on the street part. But um, so I called that guy up, and and, and uh, Dan was his name, another name, a lot of them. And uh, I called Dan up, and I said, I want to go to AA. He says, okay you meet me here at 7.30 and I said okay I can do that so it was a Saturday night I met him over there and I remember I showed up at like I think it was uh, 7.58 and I remember I walked right in I sat down right by the door and, um, and I just remember being in the meeting and after the meeting Dan comes up and he says uh, you know let's talk. So we walk around the park line. He says, you know, I'm going to be your sponsor and um, I'm going to pick you up tomorrow at 7.30. We're going to go to a meeting. And I said, okay. And I don't know why I agreed. I hated Dan. We worked together. You know, I absolutely, when I first got out of prison, we, I worked in this restaurant. We were cooks and he was the night cook and I was a day cook and I hated the guy. You know, he was drinking and, and so, but I knew that I was like, he was a drunk and how do he get sober and how do he get a year? I want to, I'm intrigued by this. So he picked me up the next night. And then the next night, and the next night, and the next night. And it's just, and it continued. And, and, you know, I don't, that to me is a power greater than myself. Why I agreed to go with Dan, why I agreed to go to meetings. You know, even though I had the loom of going back to prison, even though I had to do six months in a county jail, I still, but that never stopped me before. You know, that never stopped me before. And I believe for me is this, I had, had enough. You know, I knew that I was 28 years old. And the next did, I was going to get out in my middle 30s. And then the next time I'd be in my 40s. And then the next, you know, how it goes. You know, I, I saw how the program works in jail and everything. And I knew if I didn't drink, I had a shot at staying free, is essentially. And there's a flyer that says, sure beats sitting in a cell. And that's what I thought. I remember going to meetings and I thought, well, you know, this is it. I go, well, I had a good run. You know, I had a lot of fun. I got away with a lot of stuff, you know, and if this is what it is, it is what it is. You know, it was 2250. You know, there was, uh, there was a young people's meeting that had just started. And I remember my sponsor would say, Oh, you don't want to go there. We go over here on Saturday night. And I said, Oh, he goes, you want to go see the girls. And there was like, think two there. Um, you know, but he was like, you're going to come with me. And I said, All right. And so I just kept going with him and going to meetings. And I remember he'd say, you know, you'll have a life beyond your wildest dreams, Mike. And I, and I thought, yeah, for you, man. I'm looking at his car. I'm looking at his clothes. I'm going, I guess for you, I'm thinking to myself, because I never say anything to him, you know. And I look in the parking lot of 2250 and go, this is a joke, man. You know, my dreams are extravagant, you know. They've got Bentleys involved and multi-million dollar mansions and, uh, you know, I mean, it's big stuff, you know. And, and what he was talking about was inside, you know. That's what he was talking about. But I didn't get that. I was so shallow, so, like, just right here, you know, out front nothing to do with inside and um and he, he started to tell me to pray right off the bat so i started praying you know and um and i remember i was going to go to jail for six months and i tell dan i said you know this stuff's really working great i'm not drinking but i'm going to jail for six months and i'm going to lose my house and um he said that's okay he goes just keep praying i remember just thinking does this guy ever hear anything i say you know um uh, other than the fact that him and my grand sponsor thought everything was real funny you know and um and but the problem was, I love a good joke, just like anybody else, but you gotta let me in on it, you know, and I, they're laughing, and, and they're all laughing, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, and I just walk off, you know, I was like, screw these guys, you know, and, um, 
And I just remember, like, just thinking, this sucks, you know. And they say, oh, it gets better. And I'm thinking it's getting worse. You know, um, they told me I had to be honest on the applications for jobs. And I thought, well, well, you know, I'll never get a job, you know. And Because uh, I had a severance package from the mortgage company. It ran out, and Dan's like, you got to get a job. So I went to Home Depot, low, anywhere, you know, filled out applications. You know, I had no license, no car, had a bicycle. And, you know, and they, you know, they asked, have you ever been convicted of a felony? I'm thinking, well, how many? You know, and, uh, you know, I didn't have friends. You know, you people talk about, oh, you're going to lose all your friends, man. I didn't lose nobody. You know, I, what I had was associates, people I hung out with, co-defendants, accomplices. You know, these, these are the kind of people I hung with. So it wasn't a big deal when I got sober. It wasn't like no one was coming looking for me. You know what I mean? So... You know, I'm filling out this thing, and I'm like, you know, Dan, I've been convicted of a lot of felonies, brother. You know, and um, you know, they're even asking about misdemeanors, you know. And I said, what do I do? He said, well, just put on there, you know, we'll discuss in person. So, okay, so I do that, and I go to discussing it, you know, getting real nervous. And, you know, so when I got the, a job installing AC stuff, you know, because the guy I knew, and he hired me, he didn't care. And, it was, and I remember riding my bicycle there at 7 in the morning going, man, this a, hey, it's really working out good. You know, I'm like, it's good stuff, you know. And I'm like, this, you know. Because Dan's like, you got to get a daytime job. You know, he's like, you got to get out of these restaurants. You know, he's, you're just going to drink again. I said, okay. So I got this daytime job. And I remember going to it and I'd get off work and I'd just be so pissed off. And I'd just go home and then I was real pissed off. And I'd get to the meeting and I was even more pissed off once I got to the meeting. But something would happen by the time the end of the meeting left. And by the time I got home talking with Dan, it was all right. It was okay. You know, and I'd just go to sleep, you know, and, and that was to me was the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. For some reason it made it okay. Even though I was unhappy, even though I wasn't, you know, leaps and bounds, I'd hear everybody in the meetings, you know, the other Johnny's getting, you know, God and, and Susie's got a new boyfriend and Larry's got an apartment. And I'm going, man, when is mine coming, man? You know, I'm thinking, you know, I don't, and I, and the God thing was tripping me out big time, you know, holding the hand, saying the prayers. I'm like, man, hallelujah. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what have I got myself into? I'm like, this is some kind of religious organization that it's underlying. And I'm waiting for the thing to come in, you know, and, uh, cause I looked up at the steps and I see God, 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 God. And I knew it was just any moment the priest was going to come out. We got crosses hanging everywhere. We have meetings, you know, and I'm thinking, Lord, what have I got myself into? But, you know, he's asking me to pray. You know, I'm like, I don't pray. The only time I ever prayed was when I was in the county jail praying to get out, you know, and cursing myself. So when it ended up happening, I met a guy, and he, he was on fire with a, he was involved, he helped start that young people's group. And I started hanging out with him, and he got me some tapes of some speakers, and he, he's like, man, you gotta get involved, you gotta get involved, you know, and, uh, we went to an assembly down in Miami, I had like nine months, and I thought, man, this is awesome, you know, I realized you can have fun in sobriety. I never, I was having no fun. You know, I went to egg platter with these guys, and I never, to this day, I've never done it again. You know, I'm like, this is not, this is not me, you know, um, and that's no offense to egg platter or those guys, you know, that's for them. And, um, and he's like, no, you gotta seek out the fellowship you crave. It's right there in the book. So I got involved with that young people's group and, uh, you know, 
and and I never looked back. You know, it was it was awesome. You know, it was like you know we we actually went to Boston like a, and, and I saw how they had a, their young people's group and it was like on fire and they're like go back to your town and do the same thing you can you know and so we did and it was like we just. It, my life turned around, you know, and then what happened is I got a year, I got the car, I got the motorcycle, I got everything, and then I quit going, you know, I was going to like one or two meetings a week, you know, and um, and I got in a relationship, and that's always good to figure out what your sobriety's made of, you know, and uh, what I found out, it wasn't made of much, you know, and, um, and, and it wasn't long, even though it's felt like a long time it wasn't you know she left me and which was the best move she could ever made um you know because i realized i'm crazy sober and um you know and that got me into the steps and got me into getting some help i i I'd learned to help ask for help in alcoholics anonymous and then what have happened is about two years sober I've, i met who is now my wife and that was the best thing that ever happened to me you know we met it was just kind of odd i was uh getting parts and i saw her and i came back and i saw her again i told her she's the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen you know and um and 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 I didn't think much of it, but she called me and, uh, you know, we started dating and, uh, you know, she has her program, I have mine. And we ended up getting married when I had five years sober because Dan said, you don't get your marbles back till you have five years. So I wanted to make sure we dated for three years, you know, and, uh, and I remember my best man was my sponsor and the, my other best man was a guy I sponsor and I still sponsor him today. You know, I mean, that's the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the program working in my life, you know, and, uh, you know, we've been married over five years, you know, um, when after that I ended up getting laid off, I had job change and uh, my wife and I, well, we ought to start a business. So I did and, uh, she was real good, you know, and, and I was real bad. So I made sure she had nothing to do with it. And, um, <laughs> The business was very successful. I wasn't. Um, you know, and it ended up after three years, I said, I can't do it anymore. You know, I thought that the business was the problem. What it is, it's always me, you know. And so I ended up getting a job, and I realized that I didn't like that job, so I got another job. You know, I realized that I didn't like this job anymore than the last job I had. And then I realized, you know, two jobs in five months, what's the common denominator here? It's me. You know, I can get jobs. I can make money. I can do whatever the hell I want to do. But the problem is I have to do this. So I quit the job and I um, they said, you know, I'm going to get involved in hey, That's what all that's what got me all this stuff. You know, it was doing Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, I met another guy and it was like the first night he met me he goes, man, you were real mad. And I said, yeah, yeah. And we started hanging out and we started going to meetings, him and I. And, and it was just like just all this stuff started unfolding. I started sponsoring more guys. I uh, became the GSR for this group. I uh, now I'm the treatment committee chairperson for a district, and you know, it's just like a, this last year has just been phenomenal. You know, my relationship with my wife has has turned all the way around. You know, um, you know, everything has turned around, and all I've done is put everything in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, service, service, work in the steps carrying the message, doing what we do here, you know, and just, and that to me is what has gotten me this far. You know, I, re- I realized, you know, I just celebrated 10 years. And I'm like, where did it all go? You know, it seems like just yesterday I was getting a year, you know, at 2250, you know, and then I'm up here and my sponsor's like, it's been a long time. And I've watched a lot of people, you know, come into these rooms and, and very few have stayed sober. I've sponsored a lot of people and and a majority of them don't stay sober but just like the first guy I tried to sponsor I remember telling my sponsor he didn't show up 
He said, did you? And I said, yeah, of course I was there. He said, that's all that matters. You know, and that was the key. You know, all the trouble, you know, I've been arrested 50 some odd times. You know, I did the math. I was getting arrested, I think, every 60 days. You know, it was, it was horrible. Ever since I've been in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't found it necessary to go to jail. You know, I don't know how that works. You know what I mean? Um, that, to me, is the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, today I'm accountable. You know, I say I'm going to do something and I do it. You know, I have all these wonderful relationships with people in my life today, and that's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, for me, I realize that, you know, I'm just a vessel for this thing to work through me. You know, people are like, oh, that's great. I'm like, it has nothing to do with me. Trust me. You know, me, what I do is I get in trouble. You know, once I start drinking, all bets are off. You know, and, and I get these jobs, these people, like, they have no clue. You know, they're like, you know, they just think I'm this mellow guy. And I'm like, you have no clue. They're giving me keys to, you know, all this stuff. And, and, of course, I do the right thing because that's what you guys have told me, you know. And that's why I don't take any credit for it. All I did was not want to go back to jail. You know, that's essentially what I did, you know, and, and I don't take any credit for it. It's this power greater than myself that works through me, that talks through me. I mean, I bring, I go into a lot of places. I don't ever talk about it, but I do. You know, I've been going to Bridges for over eight years now, you know, since I was the first speaker there. You know, I've been doing that, you know, because I feel like it's, it's really, it's just what I do, you know, and, and that's why I do it, because this is what we do. You know, it's like I try to explain that to my mother, and she's like, she doesn't get it, you know, and I say, well, you know, because I, I tell her I enjoy it. You know, why would you enjoy hanging around with all those drunks? You know, I said, well, you know, I say to myself, I said, why don't you ask yourself that question? You know, why do you enjoy hanging around with all these drunks? You know, because that's what she does. You know, the difference is we're all sober. You know, we're all moving on this path. And I love this meeting. You know, I look out and I, this meeting to me is Alcoholics Anonymous because every kind of person is here. Every kind of demographics here. You know, and that to me is Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been the GSO twice. You know, that to me is like the mecca of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you ever get a chance, you know, go to Riverside Drive. It's, uh, you know, up in Manhattan. It's a great place. It doesn't cost anything. They'll take you on a tour. And there's a meeting on Friday. It starts about 1130. It's not in the when and where. Everyone's welcome. You know, I went to the two 2000 International Convention. You know, that was an incredible thing. I'm getting ready to go to San Antonio. We're going to, my wife and I wanted to go to New Orleans, so I got online. There's a young people's conference at the end of this month in, uh, in New Orleans, so we're going. You know, I called the, the contact information, said, yeah, you know, that's all I got to do. And then, boom, we're there. You know, AA's everywhere. Whenever I go out of town, I go to meetings, I find when and where's. I find online now is great. You go online, you can find means anywhere, and people will pick you up. I always tell people that. Call them. They'll pick you up. They'll bring you home. You know, it's cheaper than a cab. But, um, you know, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and wind it up, and I just want to thank you all because of you guys. I'm sober. Thank you. Woo!